This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about an interesting thing that God did as a symbol of his covenant. It says in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 9, it says, And God said, This is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations, meaning it's going to be not just for uh, that generation, it's going to be for the generations to come. He says, I set my rainbow in the cloud. And it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, we know what a rainbow is. A rainbow is is where you have light refracting through precipitation or water vapor in the air. And uh, obviously, it is a beautiful thing to see. And uh, whenever you see one in the clouds, it's, I guess, I guess the best way for sure describe it as majestic. It's a majestic thing to see up in the clouds, or you usually see it on the backside of a storm when the storm is passing and you're coming out of it. And obviously you're in a place where the sun is beginning to shine through after the rain. The the light reflect, refracts through that water vapor and you see a rainbow. The ones that everybody loves the most is where you can see the whole rainbow where it goes all the way across from one side to the other. There is no gold at the end of the rainbow. There are no leprechauns. That's not in the Bible, and it's really not in Scripture. It's really paganism. But anyway, there is no there is no gold at the end of the rainbow. But uh, what's interesting to me is this kind of gives me an idea and understanding that before that, there was something different about the atmosphere, something different about the way the earth operated, something about that firmament, that water shield, Something about it that that was different so that when we get to the point where we're at right now, the rainbow is a new thing and it is a new thing that they can see and it's a new thing that they'll understand and it is a covenant symbol for God. Now, he says in verse 14, it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that a rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you. Notice that God is saying this is for him and them. It is it's not that he would forget, but it is a remembrance. It's a reminder. It's a standing stone. One of those ideas in the Old Testament. It is a point, a symbol of something that's happened in the past so that we have an understanding of what God does and how God operates in our time, in the place where we live, in who we are. And he says, I'll remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature in all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. He says, he says, uh, uh, the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I have established with me 
and all flesh that is on the earth. Now I want you to I want you to think about this and I want you to this and I want you your mind to to focus on this. I talk a lot as we go through scripture. I show you the symbols of scripture. All right. And I wanted to take this opportunity because it's right here in the book of Genesis. So I want to take this opportunity to explain the theology behind um behind uh, symbology in scripture. The best way for me to explain it to you and describe it to you is this way. In Romans chapter one, when talking about those who don't have faith in God and explaining that those who don't have faith in God are without excuse, because what he says is that God's divine qualities, his eternal nature are clearly seen in that which is created, which means that if you look out at at God's creation, it is a it is an extension of His divine character and nature. Meaning, meaning when I look out and see the universe that God's created, there's aspects of all of it that reveal God's divine nature and His character, and reveal how things actually are in the spiritual. Okay, and so if I don't if I don't look out there and see that, remember that means that the creation that God made is symbolic of his character and nature and who he is. So when I look and see the world and see the universe, I can deduce from that that God has certain aspects to his nature that are clearly seen. And that's what Romans chapter 1 says. They're clearly seen that that man is without excuse, that we can know the enormity of God by seeing the enormous number of stars there are in the sky and the galaxies and realize that we're in a universe that is that is so large and so wonderfully big that nobody can wrap their arms around it. And even today is we have far better technology to see out in the universe. We're discovering new and exciting and different things each and every day. Why? Because God is huge. He's enormous. And so the universe is symbol of the omnipotent and omnipresent power and the personhood of God in his greatness. And so when I look through scripture, I see that God has taken certain things in creation and he's made them symbolic of some aspect of the work he does in the world. The neat thing about this passage of scriptures, not only do we get in the study of Noah, not only do we get the idea of a rainbow being symbolic of the covenant God has made with us about not destroying flesh with a flood, not only do I get, not only do I get the idea that covenant is going on, okay, and that relationship with God is available, but I get the symbolism of a boat, and boat re a boat represents the process of salvation that God is working in our lives. And how do I know that? The boat was created by Noah. How was it created? He built it physically, but remember what initiated him building that boat. What initiated God, Noah building that boat was, is that he heard God's word. He received it, meaning he not only did he hear what God said, but he internalized it and took it in. It wasn't like water off a duck's back. He took it in. He believed it, he faithed it, he trusted in it, and then he acted on it. God said, build a boat because there's going to be a flood. Noah said, wow, I hear you, God. You mean there's going to be a flood? And even for Noah, he didn't even really know what the flood was. 
And a lot of times when God speaks to our heart about things, we don't know really how that's going to turn out. We don't know how that's going to be. I remember when we bought the house that we live in here in Stillwaters, when we bought that house, when we bought this house, it had, it was in terrible shape. It was in terrible shape and the retaining wall was cracked and messed up and there was a giant crevice all the way up to the hill that goes up to the house and I came in the house and it was just this God awful like baby poop, yellow color and it smelled because it would it had been left closed up for a couple of years and it was just a it was terrible. And my wife, my my beautiful wife who has great taste and is a great, really good decorator. She said, I can fix this. And I'm sitting there going, it cannot be fixed. And she said, I can make this look really good. And I go, can I look good? This is horrible. No. And and finally, I heard her say, I can do this. And everything she would describe to me, I couldn't see. I didn't, I couldn't see. I couldn't see that she was, she knew what she was talking about. I couldn't see how that was going to look and make it look a lot better. I couldn't see that. But you know what I had to do? I had to trust my wife that she knew what she was doing. And I had to put on my work clothes and come weekend after weekend up here and paint and fix and work on. And I even had to hire somebody to do all the stuff that I couldn't do and that my brother-in-law, Jason, didn't have time to do, although he could do most of that stuff himself, too. I could I just had to I had to just trust that what Kathleen said is true. That is an analogy to understand that if I trust Kathleen, shouldn't I trust God more? Absolutely, I should. Why? Because he's omnipotent and all-powerful. He's all-knowing. His love is everlasting. And so I know that when God says something to me, it is even to be more trusted than my wife. Uh, It's to be more trusted than anything else. And so when God gives me something to do, and when he tells me something that should be taking place in my life, I ought to act on it that way. I ought to to hear it. I ought to receive it. I ought to act on it, believe it, and then I ought to act on it. And when I do that, when I do that, I begin to produce something. And what did Noah produce when that happened? He produced a giant ship that saved all humanity, and it saved humanity and flesh from the flesh. And that act of faith, which was a long-term act of faith, it was an ongoing act of faith that took 100 years to complete. That act of faith resulted in him being the center point of three chapters in the Bible. It is, he becomes the, an important figure in history. He becomes the father of all nations in the sense that from him, all nations come. And his hearing God, receiving that truth, believing upon it, and then acting is, is the result of life itself. It, where we are today is, and that rainbow that we see in the cloud is a product of his faith, but also the product of his faith was that boat, and that boat represents salvation. It represents the product of our hearing God's word, receiving it, believing it, and acting upon it. And when we do those things, when we do those things, salvation, the process of salvation is completed in our lives. We learn to trust God more. We learn to believe in God more. We learn to walk in God's character and nature. We learn to walk in God's presence. And likewise, in the Bible, there are all kinds of symbols in Scripture that you'll see. I think when I think of liquids, liquids tend to always point toward the work of the Holy Spirit. You've got water, which is the washing of the Holy Spirit. It's the cleansing of the Holy Spirit 
through God's word. It uses God, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God, which is Jesus. He uses that word to wash and to cleanse and to, and to wipe away all the stains of sin in our lives. Oil is a representation of the power of the Holy Spirit, the very resonant power that sits upon those who trust God and who believe in him and who act in faith regularly in their life. And then you got the then you got the wine, which is the goodness of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God. Jesus said he wouldn't drink of the cup until we were all up there with him together at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Why? Because the goodness of the intimacy of relationship with God and the goodness of what he does for us and the joy that comes even in the midst of sorrow and trouble, is wonderful. You, you just, as you go through scripture, there are just so many things out there that if you look it up and go, wow, look, he uses this right here. And it's used throughout scripture all the time. It's being used all the time. Trees represent people. Fish represent people. I just, I can't even, if I wrote them all down, I would spend my whole life writing them down. Of all the symbology that God gives us in scripture to point to aspects of his character and nature, aspects of the things that he does on a regular basis. <clears throat> and when you see those things and when you understand those things, resurrection, the what is the symbol of the resurrection? It's the morning, it's the rising of the sun. In fact, when God made, made the universe, when he made creation, he made day and night. And which came first? Night came first. Why? Because on, on a Jewish day, when the sun went down, that's when the next day began. Because the story of creation is it falling into chaos, it falling into sin, it becoming subjugated to sin. But see, that sin only lasts for a season, and that subjugation is only for a time. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The Son of God rises from the grave, and him rising from the grave, the symbolism of the sun coming up from the horizon and providing us light and hope. And it is a light that you can't look at. If you'll notice, you can't look at the sun. You can't look at it. Why? Because it'll burn your retina. You can't do it. He's unapproachable light. He is the light of the world. That's when John, that's, and John loves symbolism. book, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Revelation, they are chock full of symbology. And uh, especially the Old Testament prophets, they are full of symbology. They use, a, I think, of Isaiah and the pot and the potter's house. And you just keep going through all the symbology of Scripture as you as you learn it and as you look at it. And you think God's plan has, is an eternal plan. It's been going on since the very, very beginning. And that's what makes even studying the book of Genesis so fun, is I can look here and I see him talking about this sign and this covenant in the universe and and this rainbow, which is a picture of God's covenant relationship with his people. And I understand that there's not just one covenant. There was a covenant with Adam. There's a covenant with Noah. There's a covenant with Abraham. There's a covenant with Moses. There's a covenant with David. There's a covenant that takes all those covenants, which is Jesus's covenant on the cross, that he shed his blood. And remember, there's a blood price for every covenant. And, uh, and that blood price is ultimately culminated in the perfect Lamb of God giving of himself to us, and that is Jesus Christ giving of his life and his blood so that we might be redeemed from sin and from and all those things have some symbols to them. What does blood represent? It represents life. Every time blood in the Bible, it represents life. It's the cost of giving Jesus giving his life for us. And boy, when you start reading that, you understand, and you also understand that the enemy oftentimes tries to either usurp or the enemy tries to to uh 
diminish or take away our understanding of Scripture and understanding of these symbols in in, in Scripture. He tries to take them away or he tries to get us to use them as as idols to be worshipped rather than worship of God. Remember these symbols, we're not to worship a rainbow. We're to see the rainbow and remember the covenant God made with us and made with humanity and worship him. And so sometimes the devil uses that to to tempt us to to take those symbols and worship the symbol rather than worship the one true God. And when that happens, you're you miss out on the whole reason for God giving us the symbolism of Scripture. And when we're studying these things, we obviously know that a movement in the world and a movement in, in, in the United States especially has usurped the rainbow as its symbol, and that, that cannot stand. The rainbow represents God's covenant with his people that he will not destroy the earth by a flood, but that does not mean he's not going to destroy creation with a flood. He's going to destroy creation with fire. He's going to literally release the atomic uh, matter of the universe, and it's going to be consumed in an atomic fire that is going to burn everything up, and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He is going to judge the earth. He's just not going to judge it with a flood anymore. And those who would usurp that want to say that God uh, God is okay with their lifestyles, even though clearly in the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially that passage in Romans I was talking about, clearly indicate that lifestyle is not in line with the salvific work of God in a believer's life. It's just not in line with it. Now, I'm sorry if you don't like that, but it's not. It's clearly scripturally not in line with God's very best that he has for us. And that's not to say that sin and that lifestyle is any worse than any others. All sin and all lifestyles are outside of God's will, God's perfect will as revealed in scripture through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the complete revelation of God, which is the word of God, all lifestyles that are outside of prescribed way to live, which is to live by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. All lifestyles that are not not in line with that are sinful and wrong and are to be rejected. And there's no way to get around that. And sure, there are many lifestyle choices, but there is only one choice that that ultimately leads to God's very best and God's purposes fulfilled in a person's life. And that lifestyle choice is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes to the Father but by him. And if you don't, if you don't choose his way, if you don't choose his word, and I love people say, I don't believe, I don't believe this, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. If you don't believe scripture, if you don't hold it to be inherent, if you don't hold it to be the full revelation of Jesus Christ, then I don't know exactly how you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again on the third day. Because the people who are telling you all these things, the people who are revealing these things in scripture to you are the same people who told us that he was raised from the dead. So were they lying about how God wants us to live our lives, but they were telling the truth about him being raised from the dead, him giving his life on the cross? Or were they lying about both? See, the problem is that once you start parsing and separating out scripture, once and certain people love to do this. They love to come up with their own theologies and their own ideas and parsing out scripture in their own ways. And once you start doing that and saying this passage is more important than that passage, and you can't understand scripture unless you really understand this passage, and the truth is their interpretation of that passage is out of line with other passages of scripture. And I'm sorry, scripture interprets scripture, and the word of God interprets itself, 
And if your interpretation of that is out of line with something else the scripture says, scripture's not wrong. You are. And you need to you need to go and figure out and spend time with God and allow him to show you how those passages of scripture actually work together because they do work together. They do work together. And uh, God's word is true. And everything else and every person who says anything other than that is a liar. And uh, the truth is not in them. And uh, that's from scripture also. Okay. And I love that God has given us a perfect, beautiful picture of who he is. And it is our job to seek him out and to come to know him and come to find him and walk with him in his very best. And that means that each one of us in our sin nature, we seek God out and we find him. And, uh, and once we're, once we find his will, he changes us. And each one of us has turned to our own wicked ways and God's salvation, that picture of that boat, is his process of changing us back into his will. And uh, we have to reject whatever wicked way is our way. And we have to accept and receive the only true way, which is Jesus Christ. And I hope you do that uh, each and every day, try to do that. I know I do. I fail at it many times. I'm not perfect and in no way am I sinless. No, my sin, I'm like David and the apostle Paul. My, my sin is ever before me, but I do know that there is a way and there's a truth that is beyond me. And may God bless those, and he does bless those, who hear his word, who receive it, who believe it, believe upon it. They trust it. They act on that because they believe and they trust, and they are changed by it. And uh, that is the process of salvation, hearing God's word, receiving it, believing upon it and allowing that to inform our actions in every possible way. And I hope you'll do that. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.